Welcome to the Big Ten on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And I'm your host today, Luke Fowler. I'm here with my co-host and uh, School of Public Service at Boise State colleagues, Jen Schneider and Jackie Kettler. How are y'all doing today? Good. Enjoying that rain out there. Yeah, it's nice and chilly. Yeah, I woke up this morning and I was like, what is this substance falling from the sky? Like, I didn't even recognize it. Uh, so, uh, last week uh, we had a very interesting episode and we wrapped that up with uh, some breaking news on the confirmation process uh, of uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And so that's uh, a great place for us to pick up this week. Um, because since the last time we, we spoke to our listeners, uh, there's been some interesting developments in that uh, that story, um, if we want to call them developments. Uh, so for those that don't know, Friday morning after the uh, the, the testimony of, of Ford and Kavanaugh on Thursday, um, they decided essentially to po- po- postpone these votes uh, in the Senate to allow the FBI to do a very quick investigation of these accusations. Um, and that report got released today. And when I say released, it didn't actually get publicly released. It is under lock and key in the Senate building. And there's only 109 people that are authorized to see it. Those would be the members of the Senate and certain staffers. Um, so, but, uh, in a really anticlimactic sense, uh, Chuck Grassley said that it didn't really tell us anything that we didn't already know. So not sure why it's under lock and key, but it's there anyway. So, uh, the, I guess the first question to, to throw to my co-host is, uh, you know, with everything that's happened last week on this story, like, what do y'all think is the most interesting in all of this? Well, I mean, I, I still think about, I was, I was traveling last Thursday, which is why I wasn't here for the show, but, uh, you know, I was in a couple of airports around the country and just watching people watch that testimony was is something I will never forget. Um, there were when people when you hear reporters saying that people around the country were riveted to their screens, that is exactly what that experience was like. So that is going to stick with me. And then the other piece that's going to stick with me is the two women activists who followed Jeff Flake essentially into an elevator and demanded that he look at them in the eye and um, acknowledge that moving that vote forward without an additional investigation would send a message to really any survivors of sexual assault that that um, that those sorts of things aren't punished, that they go unpunished, uh, and that you can ascend to the halls of power um, without there being consequence. So those those are sort of two episodes that stick in my mind. And of course, I think you know, Flake's voice was an important one in determining that the vote would be postponed and that the background investigation would be extended. I think one other thing to come out of this was Jeff Flake's, Senator Flake's friendship with Senator Coons out of uh, Rhode Island or Delaware. Nice Delaware. Delaware. Um, and they've apparently been good friends for a while. And um, this is one thing that's long been important in Congress are these cross-party friendships. And apparently Coons became very upset. He went off and had a private conversation with Flake. Um, and this is In a, a phone booth. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and this is something they've now given an interview together. Um, and this brings up a point that political scientists are worried about the lack of these cross-party friendships in Congress now. Like this Flake and Kuhn's friendship is kind of unique. And the importance of these um, friendships and cross-party um, networks to actually getting things done and that we may be losing that. And so this may actually be very unique in that sense as well. 
well for actually that being influential. And we should say Flake isn't going to return to the Senate either, right? He's mm-hmm. decided not to run again. Well, and I, I'm sure, and so to, to Jackie's point, uh, there's an old story about uh, Thad Cochran, who was the longtime Republican uh, senator from Mississippi, and he said in an interview once that all his friends in Washington were Democrats because they were more fun. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, and, and Thad Cochran, who was, uh, you know, a stalwart of the Republican Party in a lot of ways, was also known for his bipartisan leadership mm-hmm. at a lot of times. So I, I think you're, you're absolutely right, is the, the visceral hate between parties that seems to have been taken over and, and replaced mm-hmm. this uh, sense of camaraderie that, that we used to see in the Senate. So on that note, um, what are your thoughts on, on and one of the, the big criticism I think that are interesting at it that are coming after um, the, the testimony on Thursday wasn't so much about Kavanaugh and it shifted really about Kavanaugh and the sexual assault allegations to his just mean-spirited, aggressive, angry accusations about this democratic conspiracy against mm-hmm. him. Um, and John Paul Stevens said today in a, in, a, in a public meeting in Florida that uh, because of those statements, Kavanaugh is no longer qualified for, to be on the court. And mm-hmm. a lot of people have, uh, have said that after he's come out there that he's no longer, bi- like he's no longer, I mean, non-biased. I mean, he's acting in a partisan way, um, and this is something that's, I mean, in a time of polarization, the court, of course, is more political, but for it to be so outright political, um, yeah, there are a variety of people saying that is what is now for their, they have concerns about, including people, including conservatives. Yeah, I mean, for me, that was so, so the most remarkable piece of watching his testimony, and I didn't expect that at all. So folks who listen to our show regularly might remember a few weeks ago, Luke, you and I were talking about Kavanaugh's nomination and how he seemed sort of like a, a slam dunk uh, nominee. He came across as very sort of even-toned, talked a lot about the importance of impartiality. I think he was trying to put the left's concerns about Roe v. Wade to rest um, by sort of talking about his feminist bona fides. And then to have him come out swinging in the way he did um, during this, the confirmation hearing was quite simply shocking. Mm-hmm. It certainly seemed to be against the character that he had erected for himself before then. Well, so it was really interesting, you know, uh, talking to, to Corey last week on the show, um, like right after his testimony comes out, and a lot of the commentary on you know, the, the time are going, wow, this is amazing, like, to see Kavanaugh show this much spirit. Um, it really, I, I guess... It brought some Republicans to his side. Trump uh, really liked it. Was really so. It, it was a lot of that stuff that that read as somebody was who very was Trumpian. angry, yeah. incredible, and that created a sense of credibility. But since then, a lot of that commentary has shifted. And like, wait, wait. When we sit, think about this on a second, a second time, we realize like how attacking he is of Democrats and how much hate there is there. And so it was interesting when one person, um, Richard Blumenthal, was in the room. Well, he's a, a lead defendant on a case that's headed to the Supreme Court. Yeah, and because I, I believe that uh, Kavanaugh said something about like what goes around comes around, suggesting that he mm-hmm. would already be out to have these kind of, you know, revenge in some sort. Judicial uh, karma. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, uh, I mean, that you know, I, I think for a lot of people that's kind of scared them um, as they they head forward and I mean think about what cases could come up and if he's going to bide his time um, I read some interesting commentary this week about the uh, about essentially Supreme Court justice recusing themselves mm-hmm. so there's not really an independent body it's mm-hmm. up to the independent or individual uh, justice so I mean let's say this if he gets confirmed it is a pretty like 
here you go. Have have at it. Do whatever you want to whoever. And this brings up concerns about legitimacy for yeah, the court, right? right? And that we hold the court to be something kind of above politics. Um, the, that's how we have trust in it. How that's why we follow the decisions. Um, and events like this, especially if that behavior could becomes more common on the bench, people would start to lose legitimacy um, in the institution. Yeah, I think trust in institutions is going to take another yet another blow. You know, I think there was a lot of pushback from the left after Trump's election, a lot of people saying, not my president. And I think now we're going to be in a position where people feel like it's not my court. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's probably not good for American mm -hmm. uh, forms of government. So with that said, what do y'all think? Does he get confirmed or not? Well, it looks like Susan Collins of Maine is feeling better about his nomination after viewing the FBI uh, documents, as is Flake. Um, yeah, I... It's tough. It's anybody's call. It would be a surprise last-minute vote along the line of John McCain's vote against um, killing Obamacare if it happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think probably, but I, I don't know. I didn't expect Friday, last Friday, to play out like it did, so... Mm. Yeah, certainly interesting times where anything uh, should be expected because it could it could play out in a, a lot of different ways. All right, so uh, unfortunately, um, that is now my catchphrase on the show. Apparently, <laughs> unfortunately, we have to take a break. Uh, you're listening to the Big Ten on Radio Boise. Hi, this is Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale. You're tuned in to Radio Boise, your source for music and public affairs programming in Boise and beyond. You're listening to The Big Tent. I'm your host, Jen Schneider. I'm here with my co-hosts, Luke Fowler and Jackie Kettler. And we're talking about the story of the week, the story of the month, the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, we started off by talking about the sort of non-news that is this FBI report um, or the additional background investigation that was authorized by the White House. Uh, which our lawmakers are reviewing today in highly secured facilities in the nation's capital. Um, what we want to talk about in, in this segment is how this whole phenomenon, the Kavanaugh hearings phenomena, is going to affect the midterms. There was an interesting NPR poll that came out today showing that the enthusiasm gap, which was favoring Democrats heading into the midterms, has now all but disappeared, um, meaning that Republicans are feeling very galvanized by the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, so it strikes me that the one way to explain the you know, erasure of that enthusiasm gap on the right is that this case really seems to play into a lot of the cultural politics that are defining our time around Me Too movement, um, how to hold um, people accused of things like sexual assault, accountable, um, the, the cultural politics of the left, which seem to silence um, some on the right. What are your thoughts about that? Jackie just rolled her eyes no. so hard that well, I think they almost popped out of her head. No, no, no. Definitely not my tits. We're just like, wow, that's, you know, it's a lot to kind of consider. Um, yeah, I think, hey, I do wonder, though, you know, if for example, Kavanaugh gets vote vote a confirmation vote tomorrow. Like, how much that carries over, or does that just kind of get wrapped up? Because we're we still three on? weeks out. Yeah, I, you know, mm -hmm. it's hard to know um, exactly how much that. Especially, like, I I heard somewhere that one poll suggested like, oh, it's only fifty percent of the population are even 
paying attention to the confirmation mm-hmm. hearings, uh, which is kind of amazing to us, right? Because we're paying so much attention. So while that can be erasing that enthusiasm gap, it may not be for like a broad population. It's not something people are campaigning on, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, to kind of piggyback on Jackie's thoughts, so uh, me and Corey several weeks ago when this nomination first came through, we talked about Kavanaugh. Uh, and Cordy had a different, uh, a very interesting perspective, which was, you know, it really is the Republicans' advantage to stretch this out until after the elections mm-hmm. so they can go and campaign, hey, if you don't vote Republican, we're not going to get conservative justice on the courts. And Cordy's argument, and I agreed with him at the time because I thought it made a lot of sense, was that the Republicans need to leave this on the agenda and leave, and mm-hmm. the Democrats need to take it off the agenda so, the, so they can essentially run against it, right? See what happens when you don't vote for us. Well, and now since you've missed the start of the Supreme Court um, session yeah, or whatever starting, anyways, right? you mm-hmm. might as well yeah. drag it out. So, uh, and to that point, um, like, the question is, and I understand completely why Republicans feel galvanized by this and interested, I just don't know that they're going to be interested in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, I think, Jen, you said earlier there's 12-minute news cycles. But, I mean, you imagine all, like, it seems like last Thursday when this hearing was a month ago, mm-hmm. right? Everything that's happened. I mean, yeah. this is going to seem so distant in the past that people aren't going to remember what they feel like right now. And I can honestly see a lot of GOPers sleepwalking through this. Now, the other side is the the left wing that actually showed up the Supreme Court to, to protest today. I see them still being mobilized and still being Yeah, women on the left aren't going to go to sleep, that's for sure. So, yeah, I wonder. I mean, I'm not surprised by these polls, but I just wonder how long they're going to stay like this. Yeah, 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 I agree. It's a really good question. Could it be that McConnell is pushing things through because he is concerned that there is going to be a blue wave in the midterms. Oh, for sure. That's the I, idea. I, I mean, that's what I've, I've I've heard is that they want to get this wrapped up because they don't want something like Garland to then happen to them, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where then they, you know, well, look, we've got this change. We're not going to. I mean, it does seem like Mitch McConnell is such a pivotal figure here. When we look at people like Jeff Flake, for example, or Ben Sass, we were talking about earlier, who have really been voices, I think, critical of um, the Trump administration and, and of politics uh, in Washington these days. Um, but it does seem like they always tend to vote with the party regardless. And it does seem like McConnell's doing a really good job of sort of keeping everybody in line, it would be a surprise, for example, to see Murkowski mm-hmm. uh, vote against this this confirmation, the senator so, from Alaska. So, I want to offer uh, a slightly different perspective on Mitch McConnell. Um, I don't think that the Republicans in Congress have any strategy for this. I think they see this as one battle at a time, and they're going to nominate the Supreme Court nominee, and they're not even really seeing how this stacks up to bigger things because. I think if the Republican strategists step back for a second and realize that how many women voters they're losing on this issue, how many like they're basically seeding the the moral high ground on it, so many things. I'm not sure that Republican women will yeah, right. hold them accountable on this issue. At least initial accounts suggest Republican women are right there with them. So I, I don't know. I think it's a good question, but I'm not sure that it's a given that they will lose what? votes. And I don't think who they should be concerned about is just the Republican base. They need to be concerned about the independents. Well, that's fair. Because that's how you win a le- I mean, your base is 
you know, you keep from getting to it. But the independents, that's where you went. And so, I mean, there's so many people out there in the middle ground that the Republicans are alienating because they're not thinking strategically enough, right? I mean, and uh, a great, and I think I talked about last week that I was actually somewhat surprised that the senators on the Judicial Committee didn't question Ford. And I was like, you know, it was a really great move because they didn't make it worse. They didn't create sound bites that made them look like idiots. Well, then Trump goes to yeah. South Haven, Mississippi, and essentially mocks a sexual assault yeah, survivor. That wasn't good. And I mean, you got a question, like, where's the strategy? Like, what do you think you get from that? And I just, I, I see this and I just at, like ask the wholehearted question, like, what is the Republican strategy right now? And I don't see one. Can, can I push back though and say that it seems to be that the strategy is just to barrel on ahead. I mean, there does not seem to be sort of a political pain point for the right at this point. I mean, the, the left keeps uh, saying there will be pain points. Um, there's going to be, you know, th- sort of geopolitical threats when we think about our foreign policy, or there are going to be economic collapse when we think about trade policy, or you're going to have a blue wave or a a women um, are going to vote in major numbers and unseat them. So far, we really haven't seen anything like that. I keep uh, talking to colleagues on the left who say, well, of course, Trump's going to get voted out. Um, (laughs) Of course, there's going to be a blue wave in November. And I say to them, actually, we have an incumbent in power with a good economy, great economy. And history tells us that those sorts of um, conditions mean that we're not going to see a big mm-hmm. political change. So unless something really significant happens, I'm not sure there is a cost necessarily to the right so far for the tactics they're using. Well, and I I think that's an interesting commentary. And I just I sit back and think, like, what does that say about our country now? That, you know, the parties don't really even need to have a strategy. You just do whatever is... We just pick and choose policy positions at whatever it is. We don't really care about the moral high ground. We don't really care about principle. We don't really care about anything beyond this election. And it just, it honestly makes me sad as somebody that does this as election. Because truthfully, I can't even explain it anymore other than to say, I think they're just making this up as they go along. I mean, but they are still being core, they're being true to their core base on things, right? Like tax, you know, the tax policy, like, you know, the conservative base, I think that they have been trying to to continue supporting the policy goals sort of some of those groups. Though. I mean, tax policy, we're going to be way out of balance on the budget, right? Well, for those who are directly benefiting from it, mm-hmm. I don't know that they mm-hmm. care about yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's a difference, it's a difference uh, I think, between catering to the base and catering to one's principles or being guided sure. by one's and principles. I think, that's what I hear I think that Yeah, I think there's like groups that are quite happy with what's been happening. That's not necessarily principled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. That's right. Well, so it's going to be really interesting to watch this as we um, head into these next uh, three weeks. We know that under this current political situation, uh, news stories do seem to come online every few minutes. And so it will be interesting to see if this has legs three weeks from now. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about gender and politics, looking at an interesting law that was passed in California recently. This is Community Radio for Boise, Beyonce, and beyond, 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 beyond. Hello, everybody. This is Wayne from the Flaming Lips, and you're tuned into listener-supported Community Radio, KRBX 89.9 FM, Radio Boise, Radio Boise, Radio Boise. All right. Welcome back to The Big Tent on KRBX 
89.9 FM, Caldwell Boise. I'm Jackie Kettler, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Luke Fowler and Jen Schneider. And we're going to move to talk a little bit more kind of broadly about representation. We mentioned in the previous segments wondering what this does for the, rep- you know, the turnout of women, the voting of women. Um, and one thing that's kind of come up is the lack of women on the Judiciary Committee, lack of women in this process. And so a role of representation, and if we should have more women um, represented in these types of roles. Uh, This week in California, Governor Jerry Brown signed a law requiring publicly traded companies um, to have at least one woman on their corporate board, and it will increase over time, so bigger boards will have to have like two or three women. Um, It looks like that most boards that are publicly traded already have women, but about 25% don't have any women on their board and will be required to add at least one woman. So it's time to update your LinkedIn profile, ladies, and see some jobs come open. Yeah. What do you make of this? I know, Jackie, I know that when uh, it was announced, um, Jerry Brown said that he thought there was probably some uh, fatal legal flaws Mm -hmm. involved in there. Do you have a a sense of what he's talking about or what, what this might mean for uh, for gender in California? Well, it's unclear, like, which corporations, like, what if you're publicly traded, like, if you have headquarters, like, you know, who, mm-hmm. what corporations actually will this apply to? Because, you know, especially in a time of, like, a nationalized economy, it can be tough to, like, which corporations <laughs> will have to follow this law and which ones won't. Um, I will say this type of mandate is common in Europe. We've seen a lot of European countries enact this type of requirement, but this is the first we've seen of this type of requirement in the U.S. So in those European countries, um, like, is there any marketable, like, results? Is there any, like, mm-hmm. data that says, like, oh, wait, by putting women on the board, it's led to, you know, X, Y, and Z? I mean, you know, so, like, and I think there's some research in, in public administration on, like, what happens when you have women on, you know, like, in, in, in uh, you know, on in, in agencies. There's mixed results. Um, but there, usually there seems to be, like, at least a little positive <laughs> um, consequences. But I think it's still kind of early, a lot of that research, for exactly figuring out what the substantive representation does. But I think there's some evidence that, like, they're the worth of the, com- the company or whatever, the stock value increases a little bit or things. Interesting. And so uh, what this reminded me of, if anybody remembers the, well, issues at Uber and their board mm-hmm. um, and the sexual harassment scandals and all that, um, Ariana Huffington, being the only woman at the board at the time, had a very, very powerful voice, and particularly in pushing the leader out, but also pushing for investigations. Mm-hmm. And so this really just, uh, I mean, uh, you know, after what we talked about in the last scandal and the, the push for the Me Too movement, it really makes me believe that they're looking for those type of things to actually have women's voice in the room to say, like, we have to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, there is research in the United States anyway on, that shows that interdisciplinary, or not interdisciplinary, um, diverse teams tend to produce better mm-hmm. results, that they do do better decision making. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that works. What, what struck me in this case is that it's, it looked an awful lot like a quota. Mm-hmm. And we seem in the United States to really be moving away from that sort of mm-hmm. thing. I think about sort of affirmative action uh, policies and cases. Um, and there's definitely a strong cultural reaction against that, particularly in sort of the discourse of aggrievement that we we see um, so popular now. So it was fascinating to me to see this enshrined in law and will be interesting to follow as we move mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, I mean, we do have for like um, public 
um, for like um, public boards, like city mm-hmm. boards or county boards. Um, some states have a few requirements, um, like Iowa have requirements for women um, on state boards and now also at the county level. And sometimes they've actually had problems finding women <laughs> to fill those positions. Um, um, here, I should hope that they will not have a problem. There should be plenty of qualified women. Um, what will be interesting is, you know, are corporations like replacing a man with a woman or are they adding another seat to the table? Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, you know, will maybe kind of direct some of this discussion. Again, it was about 25% of companies they think will be affected, whereas most, the majority already have at least one woman. Interesting. And so in a, a reminder to listeners that California has, I believe, the eighth largest economy in the world. Yeah. Um, so this is not, um, so while it might sound like a state law, this has huge implications because it is a huge, I mean, you think of Silicon Valley, all these, all these tech companies that are located there. Um, there is a lot of money, a lot of industry there. So this could potentially um, have widespread implications where companies trying to deal with California's law end up changing their practices across the country or really mm-hmm. internationally, right? Which we have seen happen with other policies, right? If California is requiring kind of going above like a federal regulation, then a lot of places corporate companies will just move up to that anyways in order to operate in California. Well, and so recently, um, and just dealing with an environmental regulation issue, when California tried to up their standards for cars and the Trump administration pushed back Mm -hmm. on it, but for that exact reason, because if California did it, every auto manufacturer would respond to California and it changes the entire national regulation landscape. Yeah, the the nation of California has quite a bit of pull. I mean, it's so interesting because I think to myself, oh, man, I mean, this is a really bold move and it has the potential to have ripple effects Mm -hmm. across all sorts of industries. And on the other hand, I think to myself, man, it's just one woman on your board. Like, why would you not have that already? And it just strikes me how far we have to go. You know, you think about gender representation in tech companies, for example, there's been a lot of work Mm -hmm. showing that there are real problems um, in Silicon Valley, for example. Um, So, and, you know, and certainly in, in the public sector as well, we have that in Idaho. We did a study of the of water management here. It's dominated by men. Um, so it's, it's striking to think about how many sectors um, still exist uh, without women. Mm-hmm. So, um, Luke, I know that you wanted to make a quick announcement about the show that's coming up next. Yes, um, because apparently I'm in charge of all sports stories. And Jen said, oh, Speaking fu- of gender. Yes. Uh, so Jen, uh, yes, associates me with football. Uh, so following our show, there's going to be a special episode of the next show. Uh, so Chris DeRuin is going to interview author Joel Gunderson uh, about a book called Boise State of Mind, which is about Bronco football. Um, so for all the football fans out there, it should be interesting. Uh, then later today, the author is going to be at Rediscovered Books downtown doing a, a meet and greet and a signing. So uh, if you're you're interested in football, uh, please uh, listen to the next uh, next show. And if you're around downtown, go check out the author. And if you want to talk about volleyball sometime, I'd be happy to do that. I mean, I'm not totally anti-sports. Listen, I'm now going to find volleyball stories for us to look at. It's for us to talk about. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening today. I hope that you'll consider following us on Twitter at Big Tent Radio. We're also on Facebook at Big Tent Radio. Uh, Or you can come find us at the School of Public Service at Boise State. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you next week.